Welcome to the Bandit About podcast series. Before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to take this moment to thank everyone who has taken the time to vote for this independent podcast series in the Australian Podcast Awards. And to remind everybody who hasn't yet voted to please do so as voting closes on Sunday the 28th of November. Please refer to the show notes for the link to the voting. And thank you for helping to raise the awareness of this South Australian independent podcast series. Joining me in the engine room today is an Adelaide-born drummer who was taught originally from a young age by John Zack. He played with various ensembles and bands here in Adelaide prior to his parents floating the idea of him pursuing his musical career overseas. Now, as he had a British passport, it was quite a logical idea for him to head over to London, which is where he is joining me from today. It is my immense pleasure to welcome Joel Prime. Welcome, Joel, and thank you for making time to chat with me today. My pleasure. Great to be chatting with you. Let's start from the beginning. Where were you born? I was born in Adelaide, Mm -hmm. Rose Park, I believe, the hospital there, which is now an an apartment building, I think, right next to the uh, Victoria Park racetrack. Oh, okay, yep. Do either of your parents have a musical background or anybody else in the family? Uh, Not directly, Um, as in they they weren't musicians. However, they they always had an interest in music, which Mm. I think fueled kind of my interest in the end. My mum was always sort of, well, always involved in the, the arts. So she was actually in marketing and, and sort of working for companies that sort of promoted tours of not, not necessarily music, but, you know, dance and, 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 and music and, and uh, those types of things. So she actually helped get the Worm Adelaide Festival sort of up and running. Um, oh, okay. Excellent. And then continues to, to work with it these days. My dad always had like an interest in, in like a variety of music, which really kind of fueled my interest in, in things like jazz and, you know, funk and, and you know, different types of rock and, and all those, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Great. So what led to or who influenced you to start playing drums? It was my parents and Ian. They, they got me a drum kit when I was about three years old. Um, mm. It's like a Christmas present. There's, uh, they've got some footage floating around of, of me playing this. I couldn't reach the pedals at the time or it was just bashing around on this thing. So, yeah, I'll have to chase it down one day, one day and, and check it out again. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good to see. So where did you attend primary school? So I went to Unley Primary, which uh, was near near my house, which is just sort of southern, just, just south of the city really. Yeah. yeah, and then I started playing in a couple of little ensembles in primary school, but it was, you know, there, there wasn't really a big music program at all there. No, no. So it wasn't until you uh, went to high school, which was Marriottville, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's correct, yeah. And so they I, had special interest music program there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's that was sort of at the other side of town for me. So at, uh, I, I guess I'd, I'd started having like private drum lessons when I was about sort of six years old, six or seven, and then just kept playing. I had quite a big musical interest outside of school, but I, and I had a couple of friends that 
you know, I, I would sort of jam with or, you know, just, just play with, just muck around. When it came time to go to high school, I was, you know, you have to make that decision about sort of more of a focus. And I thought, well, you know, music's really something I love. And so I thought I'd audition and, and see if I can pursue it there. Yeah. Your first teacher was John Zach. Yeah, it was. Um, what was that like? John was absolutely brilliant. I think he was sort of teaching from this sort of music store. I think it was called like the, the Rock Shop back in the day, which was in the city. Yeah, John started teaching me from a very early age. And, I mean, he was just like an inspirational teacher. He was, you know, very energetic and very enthusiastic. And, and so for a kid, it's, it was just unbelievable. He really helped, you know, inspire me. Yeah, um, and then of course you ended up auditioning for for the con, didn't you? Yeah, and that happened obviously much later. I mean, I going to Marrickville and studying music there really sort of pushed pushed me a lot. Allowed me to meet a lot of like minded people, a lot of very talented musicians, and a lot of friends that I, I still have today, and who are great musicians as well. To be honest, I, I didn't really study music in the, my last couple of years at, at Marrickville. I, um, the idea was I, I kept playing in all the ensembles and, and doing that, but I was actually sort of thinking maybe going to study to be a pilot at that stage. So, Okay. Yeah, wondering whether I take a different direction. And, and when I kind of finished school, I, I thought, well, actually, music's something I can't live without. I can't stop doing it. Did you have a job after you left school? I started gigging a little bit when I was at high school, nothing too serious. When I left school and did a little bit of traveling, but when, when I started uni, I, I managed to pick up a couple of teaching gigs around town. And that was sort of my first introduction to teaching as well. So yeah, that kind of kept me going, which is great. Oh, excellent. Can you remember your first gig? First gig I reckon was through this, this music school when I was in, in primary school. So where I was having having drum lessons at the time, they'd put on a, a show every year, like a Christmas kind of show, get a lot of students up and, and playing. And that was at the, the Galp, I think. Mm. So I remember playing there, which was, which was amazing because I'd, I'd been to the Galp before to, to see various bands. And there's, there's something, especially as a kid, like so exciting about seeing like drum kit up on stage and, you know, you, you put all the microphones on it and just the, the sound it creates is just is huge. So I remember that that feeling of like playing those drums up on stage and and hearing that sound. It was incredible. Mm. So what was your first major gig, Joel? First major gig? Uh, that's a good question, actually. Um, I don't I don't really know. I mean, because I started sort of playing around town and and it just sort of filters starts to get you know sort of bigger and better, I guess. Mm. Um, I mean, I guess every every gig when I was sort of starting out was um, was major because it was something new. But I, I don't I don't actually remember what the the first you know, let's say, very really important thing was. It might have been it might have been something even through through Marriottville to be to be honest, because we we were lucky enough to do some some tours and and some support some different artists and that sort of thing. So I reckon it was yeah, probably something to do with school. I think yeah. So what bands were you playing with at the time? So at the time I, through, through Marrickville, I was obviously doing all the, the ensembles there. So, I was doing, you know, we're very lucky to be in that sort of environment at, at school and you don't always recognise it at the time, but certainly talking to different people 
now and, and even even like in Australia and the UK and it's you know you start to realize how lucky we were to have that those surroundings and have you know I was involved in sort of orchestras and concert bands and percussion ensembles or small group jazz bands and big bands and so I was doing kind of all of that through school which was incredible I was involved with a a band so I was friends with with Ben Todd at the time and he he started up a band called JB Smack a funk band Mm-hmm. with a bunch of us all kind of quite like-minded, we're good friends. And so that was, you know, that was our first kind of original project. Right. So kind of put together ourselves and, and started doing some some performances and would, you know, rehearse various covers and, and write some music and that sort of thing. Also a, a small group kind of jazz band I started started playing with. And that was through the direction of Mark Ferguson at the time, who's a fantastic piano player in Adelaide. Yeah, yeah he got a it was like a small group jazz ensemble going, and um, so we actually we actually started doing a, a couple little gigs with that band. Actually, it was also Mike Stewart, who was a fantastic saxophone player as well. He he kind of got that going as well. So yeah, I remember doing a couple of little kind of jazz gigs, you know, just little function type things. And we're fortunate that Mike Stewart actually. You know, you could see that we're obviously really green at the time, and and he actually came along and played with us on those first kind of few gigs, which was incredible, incredibly lucky because I mean they weren't sort of paid gigs or anything. We'd do it for you know a bit of bit of food and and whatever, but yeah, so lucky for him to to kind of support us in that way. Yeah, that's no, great. Do you have a memorable gig story, good or bad, that you'd like to share? Oh, um, I mean, it's been lots of. Great gig stories. Well, you can share more than one if you like. I guess my, my first time, I mean, well, while I was at Marriottville, the first time kind of overseas, even travelling overseas, we, we were lucky enough to do a, a tour where we actually came to the UK. And then so we did a little festival here and then we when we travelled to New York as well and then, and then Los Angeles after that, so it was huge. But I remember while while we visited the UK, we obviously went around London and we we had a look at um, like Royal Albert Hall. We visited and uh, and Ronnie Scotts. We we had a walk through Ronnie Scotts, mm-hmm. and then we we managed to catch. There was a gig happening at the time at a, at a big venue here called the Barbican, which was uh, Herbie Hancock was was playing. All right, yeah, it was an incredible band. It was like I think it was Herbie Hancock and and Wayne Shorter and Brian Blade was on drums. Maybe Ron Carter was on bass, I think, but um, you know, so overwhelming seeing all these these venues and seeing these people play, and so I feel very sort of lucky now. Like I've been here in London, I've actually managed to play play in those three venues, which was just you know unbelievable. It was such a good experience for me. Yeah, um, that's definitely a sort of a, not specifically a gig story, but it's yeah, very sort of positive, sort of uplifting story for me. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been lots memorable moments i remember being here in in london and um it was a like shortly after i just met my wife here of course i said to her you know i'm doing this gig in town you should you know come along and and check it out it was a really really strange gig actually i was playing sort of with this sort of drum line or like drum corps if you will basically the brief was we were playing right in the center of london right right on the thames near um to the Tower of London, Tower Bridge. It was for this sort of international yacht race. 
that they were launching. So these people race these big yachts around the world. And so it's the middle of like a Saturday afternoon or something. And, and basically they, they said to us, right, there's about eight, eight different drummers. All these yachts are sort of docked. Um, what we're going to do is put you in harnesses and just hoist you up the, the top of these yachts, like right up the mast, and then sort of play from up there, just play a track for a few minutes. So, you know, it's like quite a strange thing being, you know, like 30 metres up in the air, the three storeys up, sort of overlooking Tower Bridge. The weird thing was, in the end, like they didn't really even want us to play. They just put this, they had this track playing with all the, through the speakers and then basically just wanted to mime, mime to this track. Oh, One of those gigs that you think like, why we, I mean, it's a cool experience, but why are we here, you know? Mm, mm. <laughs> it's bizarre. <laughs> but, yeah, so that was, a, that was a funny one. And obviously my wife came to check it out and she's like, oh, is this what you do for a living, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get hoisted up on yachts. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Luckily the weather was all right that day because it could have been disastrous. Oh, God, yeah. My goodness. No, that's, yeah. that's pretty memorable, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. There's one actually that, that was really, really strange back in Adelaide. I think it was like a, it was doing like a wedding gig. I think maybe Matt, it was with Matt Sheens, who's a, who's a great uh, piano player now, now in New York. But um, I, wonder, I have to ask him if he remembers that there was, basically we were in this venue, I think it might have been Adelaide Hills, and uh, there were sort of two weddings happening and one upstairs, one downstairs. We were on a break at the time, kind of sitting in this, in the lobby, there were a couple of chairs, so we were having a couple of drinks and on this sort of glass coffee table in between us, there was this uh, staircase right next to us. And remember seeing this sort of, I think it might have even been sort of father of the bride, you know, quite quite drunk, sort of stumbling down these this flight of stairs. And he, he was holding like a, a bottle of red wine in his hand. And it this thing kind of almost played out in slow motion we could just see it happening basically came around these stairs and he had had a good 10 stairs to go and you could see him sort of stumbling down and he tripped and i remember him falling as i said like slow motion sort of head first and he went (laughs) he went straight into this glass coffee table (gasps) oh my god and the whole thing just smashed and we were just sort of standing there in shock there was this an old guy just lying face first on the floor, surrounded in broken glass. And, of course, you start seeing this, like, red liquid everywhere because he was holding a bottle of red wine. Mm. He's not moving and we're thinking, oh, is that is this blood or is it is it wine? Or is it wine? <laughs> yeah. And then we're just, we don't really know what to do. And then all of a sudden he just sort of stands up brushes himself off and just sort of walks away as if it never happened. It was <laughs> incredible. Wow. Yeah, that would have been a sight, that's for sure. Yeah. So let's go back to when you were studying at uni. You did very well there, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed that environment. I tried to push myself as, as much as I could when I was there and and work hard. It was challenging for me. I mean, previously, I mean, I hadn't really done, because I didn't study uh, music at the sort of last couple of years of high school, my my knowledge of theory and you know arranging and and history it wasn't all that all that good. So I um I really had to kind of push myself both kind of playing wise and then and then on on that front as well to you know get some decent results. But yeah, I was lucky enough to go through uni with some some fantastic musicians, just great to play with and and you know study under some 
some brilliant lectures. So, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. enjoyed my, my time there. So you received the Helpman Academy Award for Jazz Drummers for graduating at the top of your class at the Elder Conservatorium in 2006 and 2007. Yeah, I was very grateful to, to receive that and it was obviously nice to be, to be recognised after working hard and I think the first one I think was for the undergraduate and then I, I did my, my honours there as well. Mm. Um, yeah, in yeah. 2010 you got the Helpman Academy Award for Most Outstanding Honours Graduate. Yeah, that was, you know, I was blown away to kind of receive that as well. I mean, it's like, yeah, the honours stuff was, was I mean, that, that year is kind of less theory-based and, and sort of all playing, like ensemble and, and individual lessons. So, mm. yeah, I was um, lucky enough to have uh, study on Laurie Kennedy throughout my time at, at UNSC, so he he really helped me out and gave me a lot of a lot of time. I'm pretty sure he mentioned you during his interview. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, I haven't I haven't got to that one yet, but I'm. Ah, I'm you have to have a listen to Laurie's. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> lots lots to check out. That's for sure. Yeah. No, he's wonderful. It was a really great interview too. Percussion as well. Yeah, I, I mean that was I kind of stumbled across that really at, through high school, mm. mainly kind of playing the big bands in uh, in Marrickville. So I think I said earlier I kind of went through through high school and became friends with with Ben Todd. Um he was one year behind me. One year younger at high school and so we became good friends and we're doing lots of playing and and ended up sort of playing in the big band together. Quite often that have two drummers. Um all the really about just not wanting to sit aside and and wait around. You know, I guess when he was playing a tune or whatever, and my teacher when I when I started out at Marrickville was was his dad was was Steve Todd. Yeah, and Steve is a brilliant percussionist. So going along to a lot of uh, gigs that Ben and Steve would do during high school, and particularly like there was a band called Goose, mm-hmm. which was like a big funk band. Sort of the members were from Adelaide and, and Melbourne, so they would play on a fairly regular basis and in that band it was like Ben and Steve both playing percussion in that band that was you know really inspiring to see that and seeing that kind of different aspect of of playing because before that I was just you know only sort of playing drum kit and I hadn't really considered doing anything else you know yeah there was that influence and also like even another band at the time Marmalade Circus which once again Mark Mark Ferguson uh, ran that band and that was um, Ben and Steve playing percussion in that band as well Mm-hmm. That really inspired me to start playing percussion, and and so I, I actually just started watching some some videos and and just sort of listening to a lot of that music. So that involving percussion, I started sort of teaching my myself and and sort of watching what kind of Steve was doing at the time, especially particularly with sort of hand drums, congas, and and that sort of Afro-Cuban percussion. I've interviewed both Ben and Steve as well. Yeah, I was, I was listening to uh, to Steve's interview yesterday actually which is which is great actually yeah so I've known him I've known Steve for years but um of, of course there's there's things you know I've never spoken to him about or, or don't know about him in his past so yeah it's great. yeah there's always things that you learn about people even though you know you've known them for years yeah 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 that's great so what made you decide to take the move over to the UK the move was I mean it's partly as well sort of influenced by my parents i was at a point in adelaide where i was i was busy and i was i was had some great sort of teaching gigs and some great students and 
I was also playing a lot in um, sort of various ensembles. And at the time, I kind of thought to myself, like, right, how can I, how can I push myself? How can I sort of get to the next stage in my career, um, in my playing? And um, so I was, I was thinking at the time of perhaps going to Melbourne, moving over there. Like a lot of my friends, particularly in, in uni, and like really good players I, I knew were were in Melbourne or had moved to Melbourne. So I thought seems like the, the logical choice. Yeah, it was my parents at the time who just floated the idea and they said, look, how about, you know, how about overseas? Like, how about just, you know, going, going further? And um, lucky enough to have a, a British passport. My mum was, was born here and um, although then she moved when she was very young, they kind of floated the idea of, of the overseas and and london was kind of the logical choice because i didn't have to deal with visas or or, or any of that so mm. yeah we kind of settled on on london and then and then just sort of right well i've just got to go ahead and book a ticket and just just do it otherwise i'll keep putting it off basically because it's quite a daunting prospect of just packing up and leaving but yeah it was just just a way of of pushing myself, trying to experience starting in a, a new city and not really knowing anyone. And yeah, I'm very glad I did. Did it take I'll, long for you to start picking up work? It took a little while. It took a, a few months, basically, because I, I didn't really know anyone in the, on the scene here. And so it was, it was just a matter of getting to know people, like networking. And for the first few months I was here, um, basically, I'd just go out to to different venues, just go to, to the different jam sessions, which is pretty grueling because it's quite often they're very late. So a jam session might happen maybe 10 or 11 at, at night and then go on till maybe three in the morning. Mm. So that was, that was my kind of lifestyle when I, when I got here about sort of six nights a week, leave the house at nine o'clock and, and get back at like four in the morning. You'd get up and, and maybe you know, in that time, you might get up and play one tune. If that, you know, I went to a, a few sessions where introduce yourself to the the band leader, and and of course they'd be like, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get you up, we'll get you up. And then one of their mates would walk in, and and they'd get up, and they'd just mm. call them up on the bandstand. And then someone else would walk in, they they they'd get them up. And then you know, it gets to the end of the night, it gets to like three a.m., and they're like, oh, look, really sorry, didn't didn't have time to get get round to you. And yeah, so some nights you just sort of literally at this venue just you know, watching other people play for four or five hours and, and not even getting to play a tune. So, yeah. Wow. But, you know, it's it's great because you eventually, you know, you get to play and and people, are, you know, approach, approach me afterwards and I said, oh, you, you actually can play. It's like, well, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just come need, along, just put my need the opportunity, nothing, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. But that's, I mean, it's all just about sort of getting trust you know, building trust because obviously people have, have all got their, you know, their, their friends and their, their regular, you know, musicians that they'll, they'll trust and they, they know they can do the job. So it's just about building that relationship with people. And, and uh, obviously they're not going to just give up, just going to stop calling the guys they already, they already know mm. they're going to, uh, but um, yeah, luck, luckily enough, I, some people took a, took a chance on me and, and booked me for some gigs and, and that sort of just started snowballing from there, which is great. Yeah, that's excellent. Joel, is there a band that you wish that you'd had the opportunity to play with? Oh, I mean, if there was a band that I'd, I'd really want to play with, I mean, I actually, yeah, I, I listened to, as I said, I listened to Steve Todd's 
interview. Mm. And um, and actually Steve's answer was exactly what I predicted, but it would, would be actually the same for me. I'd, I'd love to play with, with Santana and that, yeah. that band. I think that would be incredible. And funnily enough, that was Santana was the first gig I, I ever went to see. Okay, yeah. I was three years old. My parents like to remind me that I fell asleep during the gig. <laughs> that band, and I, I guess there's, you know, it's, they're still playing. So, I mean, I guess there's, there's still a chance there, you know, well, could happen. Chance, but, uh, yeah. of course. You never know who listens to these <laughs> interviews. I'll tell you what. Exactly, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, with yeah. 27% of my audience being in the United States, you know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But, yeah, I mean, that that band would be incredible. There's some brilliant musicians that have gone through that band and, yeah, that, that music has just influenced me so much. So, yeah, definitely Santana. I guess Led Zeppelin would be great to play with that band. Oh, yeah. Not that I think they would have given up that drum chair too easily. No. I think that one was fairly secure. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah, that, well, that, they decided not to go on without him, so. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. But, yeah, that music influenced me from a very early age as well. I think I think having John Zach as one of my first teachers, John was playing with the band called the Zep Boys. The Zep Boys, yeah. At yeah. the time. So obviously like that sort of crept into a, a lot of our lessons. I'm sure it did, yeah, yeah. No, it's great. Yeah, Bonham was a brilliant drummer. Yeah, absolutely incredible and still, uh, still very highly regarded uh, to this day. Absolutely. How do you prepare yourself before a show? That really depends uh, on what kind of what kind of show it is. So if it's a band I I play with regularly, sometimes there's there's no preparation involved. At least after the initial kind of rehearsal, you know, and and preparation for like the first few gigs you do. But if it's if it's a new show, it really depends on kind of what's involved. So like I played a lot of a lot of jazz. Um, while being here, so I guess through the through the nature of that that type of music, very spontaneous. So there's sometimes there's there's not too much preparation you can do. Especially, yeah. I would do a soon after I got got to London. There was a there was a gig I did, which was a in essence like a like a jam session, like I'd been going to, but sort of being part of the, the kind of house band. So. What we'd do is like a, we'd have a guest artist every week and then the second set would just be like a, a jam session for where people could sort of get up and play. But usually with the guest artist, they would just sort of turn up and, and they would just sort of call tunes on the spot. So we're not really planning what we're going to play or any arrangements or anything like that, but they would just choose stuff that they wanted to play and it was the preparation in, in regards to that kind of thing was just having like a repertoire of, of songs, so especially like jazz standards and, and knowing a number of songs. So basically what whatever they call it, I sort of have some sort of knowledge of of what's going on or or form or, and even harmony, you know, even though it doesn't relate to drums all that much. But I guess preparation for those sort of gigs is just being, uh, having an awareness of the style, I guess. Definitely if it's like a reading gig, so if it's like a, a show, like a theatre show or... Even to an extent, like a like a covers band or something like that. If it's a reading gig, it, I like to check out the charts if possible just before the gig. There can always be some surprises, whether it's difficult reading or 
sometimes it's just things that are really badly written. It's good just to, to have a look at that just so it doesn't catch me out. Um, but yeah, I think the most important thing is just being, being knowledgeable of uh, just a number of different styles, really. Yeah. Being able to adjust because, yeah, sometimes you, you kind of throw in curveballs. You think a gig is, you know, as you expect, and then it turns out to be, you know, something something different. Definitely I'll try and listen to recordings before a show. If I'm not familiar with the, the music I'm playing or the, the band I'm playing with, it's like really good idea just to have an idea of, of what to expect in a way. Mm-hmm. Excellent. COVID has had a tremendous impact on the music industry globally and it was quite different over in the UK compared to Australia. You guys were shut down for a lot longer, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I remember it happening. I was going to say last year, but it was, yeah, year before, which is really crazy. We could see it sort of coming, like starting to get more serious over here. Like it, it sort of hit... It started in, in Italy. That was kind of the first, those first few cases in Europe. And I remember playing some gigs at the time with a bass player who's from Italy. So I was working with him and he was kind of just sort of conveying to us like these stories of all like all his friends back home. And he was saying how um, basically everything's starting. It's like all these gigs are getting cancelled and, you know, they're just sort of dropping like flies. And we're sort of seeing this happen. And we were kind of in the UK, we were back sort of two weeks behind mm. and then it's kind of kind of swept through here and it was almost overnight basically you go onto social media and every musician had the same story it was basically like everything was being cancelled for you know the foreseeable future whether it was like probably six months in advance every sort of gig was just like shutting down and and then yeah we were kind of thrown into a kind of a lockdown here they kind of shut the schools because I know it was a bit different in in Adelaide especially, but it's, uh, yeah, in the UK, in, in London, it was basically just told to, we weren't allowed to leave our homes, really. We could go out for shopping and, and sort of an hour of exercise every day, but apart from that, it was stay in your house, which is... Yeah, um, and that was for quite some time, wasn't it? Yeah, I, initially it was about six weeks, a long time, and um, like I was lucky enough, I've been doing a lot of lot of teaching and convert a lot of that to online and, and start that experience, so... Yeah, in answer to the first question, it was like it was it had like yeah a massive effect effect on a lot of musicians here and, and the industry. I mean, obviously, a few kind of concerts and, and festivals started to pop up online, but apart from that, I mean, it just completely, completely shut down. Mm. So, what's it like over there now, as far as gigging and everything goes? At the moment, things are seemingly normal. There are no restrictions like whatsoever really i mean you you'll see people wearing masks but um but not even those are, are mandatory but uh yeah it's amazing actually because we kind of ended this we went back into lockdown over christmas and then for a few months and then things have opened up fully the summer here so around july and it's just been absolutely nuts since which has been fantastic just so good to see to see the music industry sort of kick back into force and i think having people deprived of seeing seeing shows and not having like that experience of live performance. I think people really missed it because it's come back with a huge force at the moment. Yeah. I'm lucky enough to have been playing very regularly at the moment, which is great. So what are the 
directions then over there? There aren't any or? No, absolutely not. Nothing at the moment. Wow. Uh, there's talk of restrictions sort of coming back in because obviously we're going into into winter now. Mm-hmm. So that sort of brings with it new concerns. Yeah, we just have to play it by ear. Nothing else we can do at the moment. But, okay. I mean, over here in Adelaide, we're still at 75% capacity allowed. Yeah. And can't stand and drink and eat and unless you're outside. Like, so if a venue's got a beer garden, you can, but if they haven't, you're meant to be seated. When you're indoors, you're meant to be wearing a mask. And we don't even have any community transmitted cases here in Adelaide. So it's just really quite ridiculous what they're doing. I know that in New South Wales, because my dad lives there, you can't, like, you can go food shopping and stuff like that, but you've got to wear a mask and you've got to check in everywhere using a QR code. Yeah. And unless you're fully vaccinated over there, you can't go to, like, venues and things like that. Yeah, it just seems like it's it's just crazy. It's um, absolutely crazy here. <laughs> yeah, and I, I really feel for you know, venues and, and musicians because um, it's so tough when sort of everything is open ex- except for that one industry really. And especially, you know, I completely understand the, the risks involved. And But, yeah, it's, it's such a difference. I mean, I know from talking to, to my family in, in Adelaide and, you know, there's minimal cases there, you know, at a time. And, and then I don't know how sort of familiar you are with the situation in the UK, but, I mean, here we're, we've got, you know, 50,000 cases every day. Yeah, I know. Basically. So it's, yeah, it's just two very different approaches. So, mm. yeah, who knows what the uh, what the next sort of few months will hold, but we'll uh, just have to just keep going on and, and do our best, get through it. Yeah, well, basically here, I mean, for musicians, it's going to be a matter of, well, if you're not vaccinated, eventually they're not going to be able to play. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's mm. yeah, that'll um, and that'll be so tough—a very tough decision for some people. I, I realise, and um, well, it's not just those who have just chosen for whatever reason not to. There, you know, of course, there are people who have genuine medical reasons not to do this. Yeah, of course, of course, yeah, mm. yeah, and it would just be yeah, yeah, devastating. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just amazing how different the different governments around the world are handling it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and luckily enough, in most people here, like there, there's been quite a good support scheme. So most people have been sort of fairly well supported throughout mm. the pandemic. You know, there are obviously people that are always going to fall through the cracks, unfortunately. Yeah. Joel, if you could offer one tip to a brand new drummer, what would it be? One tip. I would put it down to listening. Mm-hmm. It's purely and simple, just just listen, listen to as much music as, as possible, and obviously go to go to see music as well. Try to absorb as much as you can. I mean, it's an oral thing, and it's something that you can't you can't perform without without knowing kind of what you're aiming for, really. And the only way to do that is is listen to music. So you can do all the all the theory you want, but um, until you actually hear what the what you're aiming for, then then you won't be able to you know, achieve anything written on a page. Yeah, that's the main thing I, I, mean, I guess I try and encourage my, my students to, uh, to do. And I think live, live music as well is, is so important because there are 
there are things you can you can learn from like very visually particularly with the drums it's such a such a visual instrument that um like if you're listening to a recording quite often like the drums are buried under like all these other instruments and if you're not familiar with the instrument it's hard to distinguish like which which part of the drum kit is being played or like what that sound is so definitely definitely yes listening and and, and watching live music so something i always love sort of seeing the different drummers play and seeing their different setups and the the different like sounds they they've uh, they're using because it's it it's so individual it changes from from player to player yeah true who are your top 3 local drummers oh top 3 local drummers i'm not sure i can certainly list a like a lot of local drummers and is, you mean sort of adelaide drummers in particular. Well, it's up to you whether you choose that later or once where, yeah. where you are now. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah, there's a lot of lot of great drummers here in the UK as well. Yeah, top three local drummers. I'd probably probably put Ben and Steve Todd in the mix. Mm-hmm. They've always they've always sort of set a, a a standard for me in particular as well. Like, luckily enough, to, had the chance to play with with both of them quite regularly, and and yeah, just that seeing both of those guys in different environments and the ways they kind of approach lots of different situations, you know, there's, yeah, they, they certainly have a very, very high standard of playing very creative players as well. So yeah, put, definitely put Ben and Steve in the mix there. I don't know. Uh, I'd probably put Alex Flood in there as well. Yeah. He's doing some, some great stuff. Um, so it's so good to kind of see him kind of flourish and, and come into his own, his own style. So I definitely, definitely throw Alex in there. And, and I think he's got a kind of big future ahead. I think he's got a lot, a lot more to, to achieve. Yeah, I a think so too. There. I would be quite surprised if he didn't make the move overseas as soon as he can. Yeah, I hope he, I hope he does. It'd be a loss, a big loss for Adelaide and for Australia. But yeah, I think, I think he definitely should. You know, yeah. He'd do well wherever he goes. Yes, I think he will. Yeah. That's a tough question, though. Adelaide's like so lucky because it's such a great family of musicians in in Adelaide. Such a high standard there as well, which is brilliant. Yeah, yeah no, we have a lot of excellent drummers here, so it's a very difficult question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Joel, I'd like you to choose the three most important to you from the following five. So we have groove, creativity, chops. Technique and time. Out of those five, which three are most important to you? Most important, I'd say, was would probably be groove, because I mean, basically, music has got has got to have a groove. It's got to feel. It's got to feel good. And there's yeah. So that that's definitely number one for me. Yeah. If the music doesn't feel good, then it's people won't enjoy listening to it. So that's that's number one. Technique to a certain extent as well, because I think that that facilitates, in part, groove. Like if if you've got a a good technique, that'll that sort of ease of movement then then creates a kind of a better rhythmic feel. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely technique, and then I guess time. Time is very important, although not always like number one. 
especially these days, like time is very, very important. Like a lot of things are, are played with click and, and very kind of metronomic. Um, but certainly there, there are so many great songs and, and like fantastic grooves that are, that don't stay at the same tempo and they, they still feel really good. So time to a certain extent as well, I, I would say. If you listen to a lot of like jazz music or and even even things like Led Zeppelin and, and rock that kind of rock music back in the day where, you know, everything was just was just sort of played without a without a click. Back then the, the tempo moves. It um it doesn't stay at the same the same tempo, but it doesn't mean it doesn't feel good. Okay. Great. If you could invite any musicians to play a concert with you anywhere in the world, you're on the kit, who would you call? Where would it be held? And what genre would the band be performing? Oh, man, that's, that's a difficult one. It would definitely, oh, man, I, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I guess I have to pick a bass player first, I guess. Could be... I reckon Jaco Pastorius would be great to play with. Mm. So maybe it'd have to be like a maybe a jazz fusion type gig, something that's kind of creative and um, spontaneous, but um, has sort of some sort of structure to it as well, which I love playing. But yeah, so it might be like kind of Jaco Pastorius on bass, and you know, I guess it'd be great to have in that respect, like Herbie Hancock on keys. I have to have guitarists in there as well, but that's a tricky one. I'm really unsure with with, uh, with guitar, actually. I mean, Miles Davis would be, like, absolutely incredible. I think, um, yeah, I think a lot of musicians would kind of would want to be involved with, with some sort of project with him. But, yeah, um, but I guess that's, the, that's kind of the uh, – that's, that's enough. That's, that's like a foundation, so – yeah, be great to have percussion in the mix as well, just to to fill things out. Maybe maybe someone like uh, Louis Conte on percussion, or yeah, someone like that. So yeah, that, I guess that'd be a ensemble worth. Uh, yeah, definitely inspiring to play with. And where would you play? Um, or somewhere with somewhere with decent acoustics. Uh, be nice to be nice to play a small. Maybe a small club somewhere, actually. Either that. I mean, if it was here, maybe, you know, somewhere like Ronnie Scott's in London or, or even if it was a bigger venue like Royal Albert Hall, just for the – not that it's a, a great sounding venue, but it's like a uh, – yeah, just such an iconic venue. That's um, It's amazing every time you walk in there. So, yeah, I'll go with that. Okay, great. Is there something that you've really tried to play that you couldn't get right or you weren't satisfied with the way that you played it? I mean, there's stuff always when I'm when I'm practicing, and and yeah, I guess as musicians, it's kind of what keeps us going a lot. It's like this. There's quite often things that are like nothing. Nothing ever feels like it's complete in a way. It's um, there's always something that I I want to play better. It might be um, for example, with like playing sort of Latin percussion and and congas. There's like a there's a certain feel that like playing playing Afro-Cuban music that's that's very very difficult to achieve, especially um you know, a lot of those players have, have grown up in that, you know, living that that 
that music and they they achieve this certain feel that's just that's got this kind of like it's not quite straight it's not quite swung it's like it's not it's not sort of even but it's it's only something you can you can achieve from like listening and, and playing that music and so for me that's like trying to try, trying to achieve that that feel with um with afro-cuban music and, and then brazilian music as well is is something i'm sort of continuously trying to work on and improve so yeah that's that's kind of that's always going to be a, a work in progress for me okay do you ever get bored with your own playing yeah absolutely i mean i've I've got to listen to myself more than more than anyone. So I'll play certain licks or or grooves that you know I'm obviously very comfortable playing. So they they sort of appear in my my playing quite a, quite a lot. So yeah, that's a, another reason to you know keep playing and keep practicing, and it's just to to continuously you know discover new new ways of playing and new new ideas. That's why it's so good just listening to other other musicians having that other influence because sometimes it can be the the most basic thing you'll you'll hear someone play and you just think why why did I never think of doing that you just have to uh yeah keep it fresh yeah yeah you do so how many uh bands or projects are you currently involved with on a regular basis at the moment I guess it's sort of four or five different projects that are happening quite regularly and those are kind of on ensembles that I'll, I'll play with yeah on a regular basis and um with the same or like a similar lineup and apart from apart from that it's it's sort of yeah less regular bands and ensembles so stuff I'll just get the call for maybe for a one-off gig or it might just be a one-off kind of run of shows and that sort of thing so yeah I think it's about sort of four or five different projects okay that's excellent. Where do you see yourself in the next ten years? Probably in probably still in London, I'd say. Um, I've just bought a house here, so I'm kind of here for the foreseeable future at the moment. So yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely in London. But playing wise, it's hard to predict. I've, I've always found that question really, really difficult because I mean, if if you'd asked me that question ten years ago, uh, I certainly wouldn't see myself being here. Mm. Uh, in the UK so I see myself in London but I mean playing wise I hope that I'm kind of doing bigger and better things in a way you know just if I can sort of be touring a bit more which has obviously been non-existent past sort of a couple of years but um, yeah if I can be based within London but able to travel and you know playing festivals and playing with some with other good musicians and around around Europe and uh, and you know and beyond really. Mm-hmm. What do you hope to have achieved before you do lay down the sticks for the last time? Yeah, that's a difficult question. I actually I, I listened to a an interview ages ago with a um, brilliant drummer called Peter Erskine, brilliant jazz and, and fusion sort of drummer. He said uh, he said something that has always sort of resonated with me, and, and he said the moment he kind of knows he's made it is when he can kind of sit down and listen to a a recording that he's done and enjoy it. Mm. And so that, that's always been at kind of the forefront of, of my mind. So when I can, when I can listen back 
to things I've played in the past and enjoy them as like not as someone like who's kind of analyzing their own playing, but but, but just, just enjoy appreciate it. them for what they are. Yeah. 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 If I can enjoy the music that I've I've recorded and and played, then I'll be happy. That's a great answer. You know, I was very fortunate. Primary school, high school, and then on the university, like have so many different influences, different teachers that that inspired me and and kept me improving. And and obviously that started out with with John Zach, but he left for Melbourne. Kind of moved on to I think Toby Toby Lang, who's now in Interstate as well. Toby taught me for a while, and he was like a such a great sort of groove drummer. Beyond that, I had Rob Boundy as well, who really proved my got me into like technique and and reading and and uh, it was always I, I remember these lessons with with Rob. It was at this um, drum shop in town that um, that he managed as well. And um, I remember the lessons. They were kind of after sort of store hours. So basically, he would he would say, right, we go into the store and you can just like pick a drum kit that you want to play on today. And we do the lesson on that kit. So it was just like, you know, get to play these, all these fantastic drums and get to learn the sound of these instruments. And that's, that's inspiring. And Rob taught me for a while. And then I was lucky enough to work with Rob later with the drum corps, the radius drum corps, which Mm -hmm. I was, which Steve Todd got me involved in. And for a while I had a drum, another Adelaide drummer, Steve Staben, who, um, who taught me as well. And then I remember that some of these guys as well would like, they occasionally would like kind of dep out the teaching if they um, had another gig or something. So Craig Lawrence and quite often would, would come and, and teach me. He kind of got me into, into jazz. So, you know, usually I'd be focusing on a lot of rock playing and cause that's what I was into at the time. But then, you know, Craig would come along and, and would start teaching me some like swing playing and jazz coordination and all that kind of thing. So it got me in a different mindset and listening to some different music. I think I said through high school, like Steve Todd was my teacher when I got there and um, that was just before he joined the police band. So shortly after that, it was John McDermott who um, started teaching at Marrickville. And John was such a great player, very inspiring and definitely into that sort of jazz, funk and, and fusion kind of playing. So like definitely got me into a lot of that. And at that point, my reading was just absolutely horrendous. I couldn't couldn't read a chart to save my life. Kind of started the ball rolling, and and that's where I kind of started learning how to like read and interpret charts and that sort of thing. Throughout high school, not even drum teachers, but lucky enough to have. I think I mentioned Mike Stewart earlier, who was who was a great saxophone player, and later taught me at one of my lectures at university. And then I was lucky enough to go on and and play in his big band as well and do a lot of playing with him around town and one more as well was brilliant trumpet player called Rob Chenoweth who who runs the big band at Maribel and Rob is to this day I think like one of the best educators I think I've ever ever met just has a way of achieving results from from people and never having to kind of raise his voice with anyone commands a, a respect it's like a, it's amazing obviously you mentioned Laurie Kennedy earlier very lucky enough to you know, have such a diverse array of players and and teachers growing up in Adelaide. Yeah, a lot of great musicians here. Before we end our chat today, I'm going to ask Joel 20 quick random questions 
or as many as we can get through in the space of two minutes to close the interview. Are you ready, Joel? Yeah, as ready as I'll ever be, I think. Okay. Your time starts now. What was the first song you learned to play? Oh, it would have been something by Deep Purple. It might have been Smoke on the Water or, yeah, maybe Highway Star, something like that. True or false, the film Whiplash won Academy Awards for Best Film Editing and Best Sound Mixing. Or I'm going to say true. Yep. I'm not a big fan of that movie, I have to say. <laughs> no. <laughs> First album that you purchased? Uh, purchased, I reckon, was a Michelle Camillo album, probably his big band album. I was lucky enough to have my, my parents had lots of albums growing up, so mainly listen to this. Excellent. Name a band you wish you'd seen perform live. Uh, Led Zeppelin. The most sticks that you've dropped during a gig? Dropped, or embarrassingly, I think I dropped two on one gig. Who is the father of modern jazz drumming? Of modern jazz drumming? Mm-hmm. Oh, was it Papa Joe Jones? Kenny Clark. Kenny Clark, yeah. What was the first concert that you went to? It was Santana. What is your favourite jazz standard? Uh, oh, I don't. Oh, I don't know. Um, yeah, I'll pass on that one. Your favourite TV show? Oh no, I don't know that one either. Name a genre that you don't like playing. Um, heavy metal. Never really been. Never, never really studied it. So, name one thing you cannot live without. Music. What was the last concert? Oh, mm. we're out of time. All right, all right, cool. Oh, I told you, it goes quick. Thank yep. you once again, Joel, for joining me for the Bandit About podcast today. You've been great to chat to, and I hope that everyone who listens finds this as enjoyable as I did. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's uh, always good to. Uh, talk to uh, a fellow Adelaidean and uh, and sort of reconnect with things back home. Oh, look, it was great to have you, Joel. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. No, it's been absolute pleasure. Excellent. All of the information and links relating to today's interview can be found in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please share the link with your friends. Until next week, it's goodbye from me, Di, banded about, proudly supporting live music. Bye. Bye.